Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me tonight is Kendra Bauer. And tonight we welcome Allison Jornlin. She's with the American Ghost Walk. Um, she is a writer. She's an investigator. She is a professional weirdo. She said that to me, <laughs> so I have to say it because I like being a professional weirdo too, although I think I'm an amateur weirdo because I don't get paid. Um, and she is a, a Fortean researcher and she's delightful. She likes to talk about uh, paranormal history and that's, those are two of my favorite words. So let's talk about that. Hey guys, thank you hey. for having me on. Hey, it's yeah. good to have you. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a professional weirdo. Um, I've uh, been a teacher for a long time and, and uh, uh, was also doing a little bit of teaching as I made the transition. But um, so now I make my living writing haunted history tours for AmericanGhostWalks.com. And uh, we have tours in four states and Puerto Rico. And what Ooh. we pride ourselves on is providing real reports. I mean, that's what's really important. People come to you with their stories. And they're, and when people go on a haunted history tour, I think they're, they're looking sometimes to find a forum where they can talk about their own stories. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we try to offer that as well as we're talking about the haunted history of different locations. Uh, but every, every city has its own story. And uh, so we, we don't make anything up, obviously. Uh, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> we did. But, but um, you like history. So you know that, you know, when you delve into newspaper archives or old books, there seems to be always something if you dig far enough that's unexplained and mm -hmm. so that's what we put our attention on we're interested in real ghost stories and into del delving into things that are really unexplained and and that's why people come on our tours because they like to learn about the history and the culture of different locations but they also want to know about the paranormal history and we provide that as well excellent that Excellent. is fantastic. So what cities do you do you cover? Oh, lots of them. Um, <laughs> we have a we have a successful tour in uh, Lahaina on uh, uh, that's on the island of Maui in Hawaii. Um, and uh, we also have a tour in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, we have tours all over the Midwest. So we're in four different states now. I don't know like all the cities I can. Um, <laughs> we keep adding new ones on all That's the time. That's great though. 
So yeah, I, I started I started uh, the haunted history tours in my own hometown. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, okay. and I had just always really loved um, Richard Crow, who started haunted history tours in Chicago in 1973. And when my brother and I were young, we used to gather around the radio. I know, guys, this sounds like it's a story <laughs> from the 30s, but it's actually from the 80s. So That's my so mom, good. although we lived in Wisconsin, she loved listening to Chicago radio stations. So around Halloween time, like we are right now, they uh, the Chicago stations would have a ghost researcher, Richard Crow, on. And he'd talk about... Uh, stories of haunted Chicago land. And so my mom, she got us, she's the one who got us into this because she would gather us around the radio to listen to those ghost stories. And we just never stopped being captivated by that. So uh, in 2006, uh, when I became a teacher, then I had my summers off. So I said, well, you know, now's the time for me to do the historical research um, so I can launch my own haunted history tour in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in my hometown. So I, I was able to launch in 2008. And then since then, um, we've added other routes. We have other tours um, in other neighborhoods that we offer in Milwaukee as well. So we just keep expanding. Um, and I have to give credit to my brother, my brother, Mike Huberty. He, um, he actually, I started him in, uh, Madison. He lives in Madison. I'm like, dude, bro, you gotta start a tour in Madison. And then I helped him with a few stories and then he just like took off from there. And, um, although I started the haunted history tours, he really, he really made the business of American ghost walks what it is today so that it earns us actual money so that we can do this as a profession. And so now cool. we both, both have our dream jobs, um, researching and writing about haunted history, um, in cities across the United States. That, that is awesome. That is excellent. I love that. Um, so tell us about some of your some of your research. I saw one of your uh, YouTube channels was about paranormal women or yeah. women in the paranormal. So right. let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So my my channel is youtube.com slash paranormal women. And the reason I got into this is uh, because I um, stumbled on the work of Catherine Crow. And uh, many of you might not know that name because I didn't. And I stumbled upon her work and I realized uh, that, you know, she was a, a, a woman uh, writing uh, in the mid 1800s. So uh, she she actually uh, grew up in Kent in England and then uh ran away from her husband to become a writer and moved to Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, a city that I haven't been to yet, but holds incredible fascination for me because of all its ghost lore. And so she moved there on her own to become a writer. And, you know, this was a time when women, women did not have many rights. They, they couldn't, uh, 
they couldn't do a lot of the things that she just did anyway. So uh, she actually uh, was a fiction writer initially, but then became fascinated with ghost stories. And she wrote a book called The Night Side of Nature, which was published in 1848. And it's still relevant today. The, the reason that we know the word uh, poltergeist and the word doppelganger, that's because of her research. Although she was English, she also um, read uh, and spoke French and German. So unlike a lot of researchers today, she went beyond um, what was available in you know, the English canon and started reading the literature of other countries. And when she did that, she was reading widely, but she found in Germany that they were doing a lot of uh, amazing work on what would become parapsychology. Uh, they came up with the term poltergeist uh, and she read that in the German text. And then she Initially, she um, actually translated uh, a German uh, text by uh, a doctor named Justinus Kerner. And he, uh, the reason that she did this um, is because she read Justinus Kerner's work in German, and it was called The, the Seerist of Prevorst. Now, um, this was about a, a young medium who was actually a very sickly girl and that's why she was being attended by this doctor but in in attending her he had incredible paranormal experiences that um he felt like as a scientist he had to expose to the public so we wrote this book um the series of prevorst i hope i'm saying that right because <laughs> um although i do have german heritage i'm not that great with any <laughs> so um he he wrote this book and she read it and then in um the 1840s uh 1845 she translated it from the German into English. And then she decided she had to write her own book uh, in 1848 called The Night Side of Nature. And this is 400 pages about every kind of ghost, um, about poltergeists, of course, about demonic possession even, uh, and many of the phenomena that we think are of more uh, recent origin, like uh, near-death experience and out-of-body experience and twin telepathy. She wrote about all these things and it's still available today. In fact, you could just go download it now for free mm -hmm. um, on Project Gutenberg and many other, it's available through many other sources as well. And I would really encourage everyone to read it uh, because it is still amazing today. Yeah. And you get a, an idea of where we came from, you know, mm -hmm. like that was 1848. When you read it, you're, you think to yourself, well, how, how much uh, have we advanced since then? So, right. so you really, uh, there's a lot of questions that come up when you read it, but um, I, I'm just, sad that i mean she's the original ghost hunter the og and yeah. 
nobody, everybody bandies around that term poltergeist, but um, nobody really understands that, you know, she's the first one that brought that term into English language usage. Um, if, if you look in the Oxford English Dic Dictionary, which lists the first uh, English um, representation of words, she's the first one on the list, but nobody knows her name. And that's mm -hmm. why I started the, uh, the Paranormal Women channel, because uh, I feel like there's so many researchers out there like Catherine Crow that have been forgotten, been ignored. And frankly, some of them have, have been downright uh, maligned yeah. um, because of nothing other than the fact that they're female. And uh, so I just felt that I, I need to be making more videos. Um, you know, there's only a few up there right now and I, I do apologize, but I will be making more. Um, I had to launch a few um uh, a succession of a few different uh, cities, but now we're doing well. And over the winter, I'm hoping to put out some more videos. But Catherine Crow is one of those women that I just think everybody in the paranormal should know about. We owe a debt, a, a debt of gratitude to her. Yes, yes. And you're correct. She did do the first what was called a ghost hunt and what we call a ghost hunt. Yeah, so that was in 1854, and so there were other attempts in the past, but they were largely religious. So mm -hmm. um, they would be usually launched by a religious figure, you know, trying to stamp out the devil, <laughs> well, what, right. which yeah. is um, how a lot of these paranormal events were perceived. And so... What, what Catherine Crow did is she got together a few um, notable um, people from high, high society um, and they went out together to investigate uh, a Scottish house in Edinburgh. And um, Catherine had found out that this house was not able to keep renters. So she kept that into her back pocket until she could um, she could visit under the auspices of maybe having interest in purchasing the house. That was her route. <laughs> and then she got in there with her friends. And then one of the people that she took was a, a young girl who was actually had, had clairvoyant tendencies, but only when hypnotized. You know, this is something that has kind of died out, this connection between hypnosis or, or what was known as magnetism or mesmerism then and the paranormal. So um, at the time, there were, were people that were known as somnambulists, and uh, these people were sleepwalkers or they had like this tendency uh, to to go into trance. They ha had more trance-like abilities. And so Catherine brought one of these women in and had her hypnotized. And uh, then they went about trying to make a connection to the ghosts uh, that were haunting uh, this, this flat in Edinburgh. And um, they, did, they did see some light manifestations which is interesting. 
and I wish, I wish they could have gone back and done a follow up. But, but when we, when we read about her adventure in 1854, we, we see a lot of the hallmarks of, um, you know, modern ghost investigation, which, which often includes, um, psychics or mediums that attempt to make some kind of connection, um, Mm -hmm. with, um, the ghost on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that they, you know, decided to say, Oh, you know, we might buy this place. Yeah. That's a good idea. Mm, yeah. And then at the end, I, as I recall, after they, they, you know, did their investigation, she was like, no, I don't, I don't know. It, it just didn't <laughs> suit my needs. At right. Time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, she might have done follow-up, uh, but um, she became gravely ill um, after after that investigation, and um, that's when her her character was maligned um, during her illness uh, in 1854. Um, and I don't know if you all watched my my video on that. Okay. You did. Okay. So I go into detail about what happened, but, um, there's this vicious rumor that keeps being repeated and it was repeated, um, as recently as April 27th, 2021. So anytime anyone remembers Catherine Crow, it's not because of, her contributions to the paranormal field, which were vast. It's instead, uh, they remember this discrediting rumor, which they're really, they really keep promoting. Although, um, there's no evidence to support it. So why would, why would people do that? I mean, that's, that really, uh, gets you thinking. So the rumor is that, um, she was wandering, the streets of Edinburgh. This is February. Okay. Edinburgh is cold like all the time, but in February, it's especially horrid. And so the rumor is that she's wandering the streets naked in Edinburgh. And this rumor was spread by none other than Charles Dickens. So when a lot of people think of Charles Dickens and before I knew more about him, I mean, there, there are, are a lot of scandalous things that you could say about Charles Dickens mm-hmm. um, and especially his relationship to women. But um, his, his conduct here is, is just villainous. Um, he spread the rumor that um, she was, she was seen naked and that she had actually gone mad. That's why she was naked. And it was the spirits that did it to her. The spirits drove her mad. And they had convinced her that if she held a card in a certain hand, um, that um, she would be invisible. So there's all these elaborate um, tales that go with this idea that she was out um she was out in Edinburgh naked. I mean, he, he also talks about um, her not being able to stand um, certain colors and just like, just the, the amount of detail makes you think, well, well, how did you know this, Charles? It I, sounds I, like she turned him down and he got 
poo-poo pants about it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it's that, but this is what I think it is. Uh, many people do not understand that, that, or just don't know the history that, that Charles Dickens was a, a mesmerist. He loved, mm-hmm. he loved um, using what would later become hypnosis. Um, and he even used it on a friend's wife um, to help her with her illnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly. Anyway, so um, he really liked mesmerism. And at that time in 1854, the, the star of spiritualism was really rising. Now, although um, Catherine Crow's book came out um, in 1848, it doesn't have anything in it about spiritualism because that was happening like when it was being published. Right. So, so uh, it was an amazing stroke of luck for her that her book on ghosts was published right when spiritualism was becoming very popular. And then I think that had an effect on, on her book skyrocketing to the top. Oh, yeah. And, and then later she would become interested in spiritualism and actually in the nighttime the night side of nature there's actually a lot more in it about uh about mesmerism than there is uh about spiritualism because as i said spiritualism hadn't really begun uh in england at that point it was still Um, across the atlantic and that's right that's right taking america by storm yes so she she was very interested in mesmerism too, but because of the rise of spiritualism and the rise of her book happening at the same time, um, the, the mesmerist, uh, the magnet magnetizers really, uh, looked at Catherine Crow as some kind of a poster child representing spiritualism. And if you look in the publication of the mesmerists, uh, in England called the Zoist, Leading up to their publication of rumors about Catherine Crow, there were um, many articles published about different instances where people were driven mad by spiritualism. And the reason that they were doing this is because they were jealous that the spotlight used to be on them. And they saw that their ranks were actually shrinking because a lot of mesmerists jumped ship and went and joined the spiritualist movement. And they just saw that they were on a sinking ship and um, they felt like they had to do something maybe to reclaim that fame for themselves. So um, that's why they started to publish all these rumors about spiritualism driving people mad. So that's why they published these rumors about Catherine Crow. Now, Catherine Crow does uh, admit that she was sick. She had um, some gastritis at the time. And she was 64, remember? Yeah. And that can be so uh, painful. Yes, this was 1854. So, you know, the fact that she was 64, I mean, I mean, she would live for another 22 years. But, um, you know, for a lot of people, that was the end, you know, yeah. <laughs> on your 60s. So um, the fact that, you know, she became ill isn't anything unusual. Um, but what's unusual to me is that when she said, look, I've been ill, nobody, nobody investigated that. No one listened to that because the rumor was just 
so much more interesting, I guess. And and but today in 2021, we should be investigating that matter. We we shouldn't just be taking it on face value. So that's why I took it upon myself um, to actually look into the case and and see that what what she might have uh, have had is um, some form of uh, not dementia, but uh, some form of um, mental aberration, delirium brought on by her illness. So maybe she was outdoors naked, but who cares? Um, she wasn't out there for very long in February yes, in Edinburgh. Right. Uh, absolutely. So we don't know. Did did she run outside naked? Hey, maybe because um, she may have had a fever as well. And it wasn't unusual for people to get so hot that they would run outside into the cold air because yeah. they feel like they're burning up. So but it has nothing at all to do with with um, being um have having gone mad over the spirits and it's just sad that nobody like nobody like asked those questions they just perpetuate the rumor now um she did she was sent by friend by friends to um hanwell which um was an, an asylum in england but the person who ran that asylum who was like the head of mental health in england at that time actually sent her back because he's like, she's not, she's not mad. She was sick. She came here. As soon as she came here, any delusions she had uh, weren't there anymore. So uh, yes, she's sick, but you know, I'm not going to admit her to the asylum, but people still report on it as if she went to the asylum and that was really the end of her life. That's not the case either. Um, she would write for many more years. And in fact, in um, she, she would write on a variety of subjects uh, for a variety of publications. Um, but I think the most interesting ones for us in the paranormal field are two paranormal books that she wrote in uh, both in uh, 1859. Um, one was called Ghost and Family Legends, and the other one was called Spiritualism and the Age We Live In. So, uh, and I, as I said, she would live for another 22 years, um, quite unaffected by any madness. So the sad thing is that scandal still rules the day today because um, in April, on April 27th, 2021, uh, in uh, the Edinburgh Evening News, Jan Bonson, uh, who's written a, a a recent book about Edinburgh, wrote about a poltergeist case that Catherine Crow um, uncovered. And so even though she's the reason, Catherine Crow is the reason that he's able to write about this now. Uh, he writes, at the time Mrs. Crow was writing, uh, no occupant of the house had experienced any spectral manifestation since Mrs. Crow was not the most reliable of authors. In February 1854, she was observed walking naked through the Capitol because the spirits had told her she was invisible. A stint in Hanwell Asylum followed. Again, oh, wow. That is incorrect. Documentary proof is needed that uh, Captain 
Molesworth and Mr. Webster really existed. So he's saying because of this rumor, we can't take anything she take she says seriously, even though he's writing this article about a case which she uncovered. And I I agree that anytime you read about a case, you should do your own research to make sure that the people actually existed, um, no matter who writes on it. Um, but the fact that he would bring up this same rumor again without any proof whatsoever, and nobody except for me in my video um, took any 20, uh, 21st century um, medical knowledge and applied it to the case. Uh, you know, I, I just... I just can't believe that these fallacies just live on forever and ever, and it's still going on today. So I would uh, propose right here and now, if anybody doesn't like um, what I just said, um, you should you should email Jan Bonson, as I did, and I asked <laughs> him to correct his mistake, but he's not interested in Mrs. Crow, he says, so um, he didn't take it any further. But um, you can email him at B-O-N- D-E-S-O-N-J at cardiff.ac.uk. So if you don't like um, the perpetuation of scandal, you could write them and tell them that. <laughs> and I think most more people have to stand up uh, against falsehood. And uh, this is me encouraging you to do so. I think that is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> information so you can put it in the show notes. Oh, I will put oh, it in the show awesome. notes. Yes, yeah, send it to me, and it it goes right in the show notes. And I just found out that people actually read those, which I'm very happy about because yeah. I spend a lot of time on them. Yeah. Um, and I'm just I'm glad to see you standing up for Catherine because I read the the rumors. And after I watched your video, I went and, you know, started digging and I read the rumors and it seemed as though to me, someone had his knickers in a twist because as you say, spiritualism was getting more attention and spiritualism was founded by women. It was generally, um, Seances were generally run by women. Mm -hmm. um, there are some notable male mediums, but you can name them off, you know, your hands, you know, one hand usually. Um, and they did get a lot of attention, but they got a lot of attention because they were unusual. Yeah. And I think most, and, and I, I've looked into this, most mesmerists and magnetists were men. Yes. And it's it goes right back to that whole church witchcraft bullcrap that yeah, and the persecution you know, of witches. Yeah, which they weren't even witches, they were just women. Um yeah, just wise women, that's all. Yeah. We can't call our women wise. We need them. <laughs> we need them barefoot and uh subservient in the kitchen, right? Yeah. yeah, and once they get old, we just need them to go away. You know, and I can't help but think that there was some of that evocation of the idea of witchcraft in the exact allegations. She was running around naked. She had been convinced by the spirits, so she's weak-minded as a woman, but yeah. also 
What did witches cavort around with naked? Spirits. That's Spirits. Right. So, and, and she's 64 years old, you know, but that still evokes an idea in people's heads of a pretty long haired witchy person running about naked. And so it's very, it's very picturesque in the modern view, you know, everybody wants to think of it that way. It still sticks with us, I think. Yeah. And so, maybe that's why it keeps being promoted. Yeah, I think it's so. interesting that you you point that out that that uh, there are you know it does seem like there are similarities to um, to that and it just evokes the pros the the persecution of of women in in spiritual leadership roles in the past. Yeah, yeah. and it's just sad that it's still. You you gotta wonder why you know when I when I saw this you know same allegation come forth in 2021, I just was beside myself because I I just can't understand it. It's it's here's somebody telling us oh we have to check Catherine Crow out. Hmm. Hmm. Mr. Bonston. Yeah, Mr. Jen Bonston. Um. How about checking out these rumors that you're yeah. republishing without any facts to back them yeah. up? You're just repeating and repeating these same lies over and over again. Why are you doing that? Why are you taking that on face value? Right. Yeah. So and again, yeah, you have the authoritative man who's Charles Dickens, who is, you know, one of the greatest writers of English literature, yada, 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 even though right. I got paid by the word and so he got a little wordier than was necessary but whatever <laughs> um i do like some of his work but still wordy um, sure he's a great writer but that doesn't mean but um, he was a good person yes exactly but you know he wrote great works of english literature and she wrote about true ghost stories so right. that's also gonna just jump right in there she was a professional weirdo and he was a professional literary, you know, pillar of the community, quote well, unquote. I mean, I should also mention that um, although Edgar Allan Poe is credited with writing the first uh, modern um, mystery tale, um, he was likely influenced by Catherine Crow. I might have mentioned earlier that when she originally went to Edinburgh, she was a writer of fiction and mm -hmm. she would write, uh, she would write mystery stories. Um, so she came up um, with this story, which, which has, um, which has three females in it, which do these, these females do take on like investigative roles and it, it's, it's called Susan Hopley. And this became a, an instant success, this mystery story. And, uh, you know, it's actually a novel and it, it was, it was published in England, but also in America. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's very likely that Poe saw this and was influenced by it. It came out in January uh, 1941. Or not, not 1941. I knew what you meant. <laughs> and uh, his story came out 
um, in a, a magazine. It was just a short story, Murders at the Rue Morgue. Um, and that came out in April of that year. So although he's credited for that, it's likely that he was influenced by Catherine Crow's writings as well. So it's another thing that she's overlooked for. Yeah. yeah. So, so she was a writer of literature and at, at um, you know, before all this in 1854, you know, Charles Dickens had given her good reviews and, you know, they, they seem to be on friendly terms. So uh, it's interesting how things change. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just when you picture Charles Dickens, I want you to picture him now as someone who's penning gossip letters to his friends because um, that account of her being uh, naked in the streets of Edinburgh uh, appears in two letters and then it appears in the Zoist and it's it's almost word for word word for word mm-hmm. from the letters to the Zoist article yeah so um, and uh they he 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 coins he says something specific in in all three places that I'm thinking of, um, stark mad and or stark naked and stark mad, you know, to describe her, and then wow. that that gives him away because that comes that um sh- that description shows up in the Zoist as well as his letters. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Somebody Don't was think upset. Of Charles Dickens as a gossip. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you do because usually people um, put that um, put that label on women, but um, writers are petty, unfairly. Writers can be petty. That's right. So mad, I'll eternalize you in a book. <laughs> yeah. So he. So let's let's uh, put that label on him now. He, I think he, he's Charles petty. Dickens is a gossip. He's a petty gossip. That's right. <laughs> Not I'm surprised. You, something happened there, and he That's was right. getting his little revenge. Right? Yeah, I'm not sure. It just it doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> no. no, no. So, um, there's other women as well. Um, I want to want to mention another one here. Uh, Eleanor uh, Sedgwick. Uh, everyone. Uh, called her Nora. That's what her friends called her. And um, she was really the statistician, the mathematician for um, for the Society for Psychical Research. Uh, it was started by her husband, but she, she was the one who really, um, when they were doing um, studies, she was the one who was able to apply math to it. And she was elected president of the Society for Psychical Research twice, once in 1908 and then again in um, 1932. Now, it was uh, the great writer Colin Wilson who originally did repeat um, the Catherine Crow rumor. But then I think he had a change of heart because he didn't just stop there. He looked beyond. And then he, um, I actually have uh, the Colin Wilson Library of the Paranormal Edition of the Night Side of Nature. And in this book, he he talks about Catherine Crow 
um, in the uh, forward in glowing terms and says that she's the one who really laid the foundation for for the research techniques that would later empower the Society for Psychical Research, which began in the UK and it then um, had um, an American um, branch as well. Uh, so I, I just want people to know some of these names like Eleanor Sedgwick. Uh, she conducted a census of 17,000 experience, experiencers of a paranormal phenomenon um, known as crisis apparitions. And yeah. we all know what these are. Uh, that's when you see a ghost of a loved one at the moment of death or just before their death, you see the apparition of them um, at your bed, for example, and they might be mm -hmm. thousands of miles away and they're calling out to you either for help or uh, just a form of, of final goodbye. And people still um, report this experience today. And uh, so uh, the, organization, uh, the Society for Psychical Research wanted to study that. And, and just imagine um, having 17,000 reports that you have to put together in a book. And, and that's what she was able to do. And, and they really whittled them down too, from uh, looking for uh, reports that um, had more than one witness um, that were uh, verifiable um, and found a great number of that, that uh, 17,000 um, met those criteria. And they put it all in the book called Phantasms of the Living. Yep. And she is sometimes credited on that book and sometimes not. So I want to I want to talk about the fact that it was her work that it was based on. So, right. I mean, she was also uh, somebody who um, promoted women's education and was sometimes looked at uh, critically by people because of her skepticism. And this is my favorite quote by her. Uh, she said, it is not because I disbelieve in the physical phenomena of spiritualism, but uh, because I believe such things occasionally occur, that I'm interested in estimating the evidence for them. So, so she said, she was saying to people, to critics, saying, you know, don't, don't confuse the fact that I'm skeptical um, you know, don't confuse me for a debunker. I mean, I, I'm not saying that these things don't exist. I'm being so hard on this because I think they do occasionally occur and we have to separate the wheat from the chaff. We have to, um, we have to look at, you know, spirit photography, for example, she was a, a critic of, of that. And, um, you know, we have to throw out the things that are false because there's something real here and that's what we need to focus on. And that's why I love her so much is because I think that's something we still struggle with in the paranormal today. We're so afraid that the phenomena are going to disappear if we try to separate the wheat from the chaff. And I think nothing could be further from the, 
the truth. Just believe there, <laughs> there are unexplained things out there. I, I've seen some of them myself and it just because you are trying to point out things that, um, aren't strong, that there isn't strong evidence for, doesn't mean that you are against the paranormal. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the, well, the, the woman we, we interviewed for the last episode that we published, Krista Alexander, um, had, had asked us about, you know, I I've listened to your podcast and you guys, you sound like you believe everybody. And, and I said, well, now I am not going to tell an experiencer that they didn't experience what they experienced because every experiencer has had that happen to them. Mm -hmm. And I've had it happen to me and it isn't my place to say, Oh no, no, you don't know what you experienced. You, you actually experienced this thing, that thing, or another thing I'd be talking out of my butt. And that's not, that's not, that's not, what I, I think is, is my place, but I can still question, especially when I'm talking with a researcher or an author, their methods, um, their data, their, um, conclusions. I have no problem with any of that. Um, and in fact, I believe I said, you know, that I was a very judgy person that I, of the three of us, I'm the judgiest (laughs) (laughs) of the the three of us. Um, But I, I soften that particularly when I'm talking with experiencers because I've been in their shoes and I know what that feels like. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with that, but I think when people experience things, you know, they're looking for other like-minded people, you know, they're looking for other people who have had real experiences. And sometimes I think uh, there are people that promote stories out there that don't, don't necessarily have uh, uh, anything to back them up. Um, You know, they may have come from internet trolls and the fact that people are putting those troll stories together with, stories from actual witnesses who are really looking for answers about what happened. Mm-hmm. Right now. I, I mean, that's a travesty to me. Yeah. You cannot just lump those things together. You, you have to be um, hard when um, you are following up on some a report that's sent to you via email, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if there's problems with that, uh, if it, if there are red flags that pop up, you can't just lump that together with an honest witnesses report. I mean, that's just doing a disservice to everybody in the paranormal community. And I, I, I think, you know, what Eleanor Sedgwick uh, was doing was talking about exactly that. I mm-hmm. mean, particularly uh, she was concerned about fraud in spirit pot- photography. And mm-hmm. I think now looking back, we can see that in yeah. most cases anyway, she was right. And what's a, really another sad thing to me is that when we look back at spiritualism and uh, 
let me just say there are spiritualist churches uh, even today, <laughs> there are spiritualist churches. Oh yeah. Um, in, in Wisconsin, where I live, um, we have one of a handful of spiritualist um, summer camps um, that you know still it still exists here in the United in in uh, Wisconsin. There's there's two others in the United States, um, and and we also have a, a spiritualist church. Um, in Milwaukee, where I live. So the movement is very much still alive. But when people think of spiritualism, what do they think of? They think about all those hokey um, spirit uh, photography hoaxes. And what they don't think about is the contributions that the spiritualists made to society and how far thinking they were. Um, people who believed in spiritualism were also advocates for abolitionism. They did not mm -hmm. believe that slavery was okay. Yeah. They also were um, promoters of women's rights, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have to just realize how hard that was to do at the time um, and how strong they were of character that mm -hmm. they were able to do that. They were ahead of us. They had 21st century values uh, back in the 1800s. And that's something extraordinary. That's what they should be remembered for. Yeah. Um, not for these frauds. Yeah. Yeah. What people think about Houdini and the fraudulent mediums and people think about the fraudulent mediums act in Britain, you mm -hmm. know, that, that was a problem for, a very, very long time. And yeah, that's, that's, that's where people's minds go. Uh, I find it really, really interesting to uh, listen to mediums. And uh, I mean, I used to read tarot cards for the mm -hmm. public. And before I did a reading for a, a person who hadn't seen me before, I said, I want to tell you a few things. One, this isn't magic. This is psychology. This is deep psychology. This is symbolism. This is pictures on a card talking to my subconscious mind. And oftentimes what happens is it connects with something that's going on in your subconscious mind. And I can right. pull it out from those, those uh, cards, but they're not, they're paper. They're not some special, you know, you're not going to mess it up. If you touch it, I don't have yeah. to keep it in a special box. I don't put it in the moonlight. I don't do any of that. <laughs> right. And uh, secondly, I do a thing that's called cold reading and any psychic you go to does it. And they either don't know they do it, in which case they honestly oh, yeah. say they don't do it, but they're still doing it. Or they do it all the time and they're lying to you. And I said, what that is, is I am looking at your body language, at your facial expressions, at your tone of voice. And I am reading you as much as I am reading these cards. And if somebody, if you go to a reader and they say they never did that, yeah, right. Well, they do. They may not know they do it. They may not understand that that's part of what they do, but that is what they do. I'm not saying there is no psychic phenomena. That is not the case. I know perfectly well that there is, but yes. it doesn't work the way you see it on television and the way 
that stage magicians and stage psychics make it look like it works. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you do that. I, one of the, one of the, you know, occasionally I'd have someone who'd come to me and I tell them that and they get all like, you know, upset and they, they never came back. Yeah. Kendra used to hang out with me when I did. You, know, you started talking. I'm like, I remember this talk. <laughs> I heard it a bunch. <laughs> yeah. So when people would come and, you know, say, Hey, can, can I make an appointment to have a reading? And I'd, I'd give my spiel. And sometimes people would just turn right around and walk out because they were like, well, that's not, you know, how tarot cards were looking for. Yeah. yeah. Now, whatever. Um, so I do know that there is honest spiritualism still out there. There are oh, yeah. people who are trans mediums. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are people who are faking it. And then there are people who are probably doing something that is a little more dangerous than I would play with. But, you know each to their own. If you, if you want to just open your brain and let any wandering spirit creature just float right in, Hey, you know. no, thanks. No, yeah. I don't <laughs> want the creatures inside. No, we didn't know any of those in college. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> and we had to clean up some messes for Oh, that, did we so. have to clean up some messes? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, we're touching on some issues here which I think need more attention. You know, there's, there's something real to these unexplained phenomena. Um, and there's also a lot of people who capitalize on them, um, you know, for profit. And, hey, I'm making a profit in what I do, yeah. writing haunted yeah. history tours. But I think um, people have to realize that there is a way that you can talk about these things honestly. Yeah. And and I like what what you just said about, you know, how you delivered tarot readings. You weren't you were demystifying it for people. And that's how I always I love to get tarot readings because I look at it as an inexpensive psychology session. That's <laughs> what I did for years. Yes, an unlicensed absolutely. therapist. And, and I'm glad and I'm glad that, you know, some people can uh, can experience it that way. It, it's just sad that there's just so much fallacy that we're we're trying to um, we're trying to like machete our way through uh, to, yeah. get, to get yeah. to, to something real here. And, you know, it's something that as people who love the paranormal, we have to come together and, and work on uh, because. Like I said, there is unexplained phenomena out there. I've had uh, my own experiences. Let me tell you one. Um, yeah, so I had um, I had an experience that I really didn't expect, um, and uh, so I've been I've been doing this kind of stuff for um, over twenty years now, uh, and just had have had a deep fascination. Uh, in uh, about unexplained phenomena um, since my earliest memories. Uh, so I've stayed at a lot of haunted places. I mean, this is kind of my hobby too, which is anytime I go on vacation, I have to go do all the haunted stuff. I have to stay at the haunted place, yes. go to the yeah. haunted restaurants, everything all haunted all the time. 
And one <laughs> of the reasons I do this is because of math. Um, I think that um, these experiences are rare. And so you've got to up your odds by hanging out in as many haunted places as you can. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I was asked to come and speak at the old Baraboo Inn in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And um, this is one place that I didn't think was haunted because um, it's a place, one of those rare places that knows that hauntings are good for business. So um, they have ghosts coming out of every orifice, right? (laughs) In the basement, there's just like 16 different ghosts. You know, for me, that's hard to believe. So I was very happy to to speak there. And I kind of made a big deal out of it. My brother, I brought my brother, so he's a musician so that his, his band could do a performance there after I spoke. And then, uh, we, uh, did a podcast with the owner and then we had an investigation. So it was a whole night of activities. So after I was done speaking, um, everybody was on one side of the building where they had uh, this little bar area set up for presentations. So I had just done my presentation. I'm finishing up. I'm preparing uh, our big table for our panel type uh, uh, podcast discussion. And then I'm stowing my gear under this table. I'm all alone in the room, sadly. Um, I wish I had been with someone or had a camera running. This is not the case. So I stood up and what did I see with my eyes? But this round thing hanging in the air. Mm. Yes. yes, it was an orb. And I hate that because <laughs> I saw an orb. So, okay, people, I saw an orb with my eyes. So I'm standing there. I'm looking. I just, you know, just stood up and just gazed across the room because, you know, that's where that's where my eyes happened to go. And I saw this, uh, ball that was about the size of a ping pong ball. It wasn't the same color though. It was a yellowish. It was very opaque. I wouldn't describe it as a ball of light, although it was a little on the darker side in there. There were lights on, but it it could have had like some internal illumination, but it wasn't like you see on TV, like the big blue dramatic balls of light that come at you. Um, so, but I had time, I just saw it hanging there in the air and I looked at it and I'm like, what is that? I had the time to say that. And then it sped up and it actually zoomed past the right side of my head mm-hmm. and I didn't feel it and I didn't hear anything, but, um, what, what made it more authentic for me is that I flinched just like you would if anything was whipped at your head. Yeah. Because you don't want to hit your head. So I had this involuntary flinching reaction. And then, of course, I looked around and it wasn't there. And that's just how quickly some paranormal experiences. Yep. Yes. Uh, And then you just have to go back to regular life. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I was like, I mean, this has been something that I've been interested in almost all my life. So you would think I went to the other side of the room and was like, oh, my God, guess what I saw? Um, but no, it was a very different reaction than I expected. It was very contemplative instead of that. 
And um, so I didn't tell anybody. And that was a Saturday. I didn't tell anybody until that next Monday. I called my brother up and I, after work, uh, I was still a school teacher at that time. And I was like, bro, I did actually see something. And then I told him this story. Now, um, for me, this thing had a lot of levels because as a, um, somebody who started a haunted history tour, you know, I, over the years, I've had a lot of people show me their photos and, you know, I, I come at it gently, but I want them to know that if an orb appears in a photo or in video, there's so many other things yep. it could be. That doesn't mean this isn't your grandma, but it could be dust. I'm just saying, I want it, you to look at all loves. the possibilities. I, I want you to look at all the possibilities. Um, but when you see it with your eyes, that ain't no bug. Yeah. That ain't no piece of dust. Um, so for me, this was just really startling. Um, and then about a year later at uh, Milwaukee's uh, paranormal uh, annual paranormal conference, we had a, a panel um, that was called Haunted Road Trip. And it had people from various locations across Wisconsin um, where uh, there are reports of ghosts. And so one of the people was a representative from the old Baraboo Inn. And I was shocked about one of the stories she told because again, I didn't run up to them and I didn't tell them my story. Um, I kept it kind of on the down low. Uh, and so she said that the owner's former girlfriend had um, often complained about every time she came into the restaurant bar uh, area, she would be dive bombed by orbs. Now for me, that was kind yeah. of because that's not how I described what happened to me. I have very, very different terms, but I could have very easily described it that way. That's really uh -huh. what it felt like, like it was yeah. going through my head and um, for unknown reasons. Um, but that was just really incredible that somebody else had had that same experience. Um, and let me add uh, one more thing about it that I usually mm -hmm. don't add. Um, there's a, a paranormal investigation team that I've worked with over the years, and, and they're great. And they're skeptical to a fault. And I love that about them because they do ask questions, even uncomfortable questions. But they ask an uncomfortable question to me. There, there's like, you know, I felt like, do you guys know me? Because they asked me, <laughs> was it a bug? I'm like, no, it's not a bug. <laughs> because, you know, I've ridden bikes before. I had, I've eaten bugs. So mm -hmm. I know what's <laughs> when they fly at your head. Um, and this was clearly not a bug. And I understand that as an investigator, you know, you have to ask these questions of witnesses. And it was a good experience for me because I got to feel like, well, how does that feel when somebody thinks that you mistake the you mistake wouldn't mistake a bug for a, a big orb flying at your head. Yeah. Um, it's important to ask those questions, but yeah, I, you know, I understand as a witness, um, it can be uncomfortable when, when you, you know what you saw, you know mm -hmm. that, well, I mean, I don't know what I saw in that. What is it? I mean, what is this orb? Is it the spirit of the deceased? Is it a demon? Is it some other thing that we don't know what it is yet? 
I don't know, but I know it ain't normal. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's my point here is I think when things happen to us that uh, don't match our normal expectations, we know it. We right. know that here is something other. And I don't know what it is, but again, it's something unexplained. Well, and it forces us to reassess our sense of reality because that is now a part of our reality. It's not just some, you know, imagining, I believe this exists. Well, now I've been face to face with it. And now I don't just believe it exists. It exists. This is the world I live in now. Right. This is the planet I exist in is with whatever it is I just saw. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think that's why it took me a while to tell someone mm -hmm. about it because I mean, I had to process it. It wasn't, I mean, I wasn't in the headspace where I could just, you know, go running to the other side of the room and yell it out to people. I mean, it, no. was, it was something, you know, much deeper for me. It's, it's personal. Yes. Your experience is, is intimately personal and it's, yeah. you don't want to run out and tell people half the time because you need time with that yourself. Because like those people asking if it was a bug, the standard questions for investigation that everybody's going to ask feel like judgment and accusation. Mm -hmm. You don't Even know what a bug looks not. like. Exactly. Exactly. It's just a standard question, but because you know you're already and you have to be ready to deal with those questions and not feel like you're being attacked. You're still right. going to, but when it's fresh, it's worse. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in Jacques Vallée's latest book called Trinity, mm -hmm. um, The Best Kept Secret, he wrote about how witnesses never tell the entire truth. Yeah. And it's because, I mean, he's been talking to witnesses for 60 something odd years now. Yeah. Oh, wait, more than that, longer than that. So 65, almost 70, a long time, long, long time. He's been talking to witnesses. And he said that in his experience, there's always something kept back that is personal and it is not to be spoken of. And the person, he had one witness tell him later, many years after he uh, investigated the case. Uh, it was uh, Mr. Maurice Massa, 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 I think. Um, he was the French farmer who had a field of lavender and he confronted a UFO with a little man who pointed a stick at him, uh, some sort of wand, and it froze him in place. And then they stole some of his lavender plants and flew away, you know. And he was very upset, A, because they're pulling up his lavender. B, because he can't move. He can't speak. He felt this energy that, that you know, zapped him and he was standing there. He didn't That's know. disenfranchising. Yeah. He doesn't know if he's going to get better, if he's going to fall over dead. He, he has no idea. He's very upset. Um, eventually it wears off and he can move, but you know, he, he did talk to the police and he talked to Valet, uh, after it came out in the news and he gave him the story, but then about 20 years later they had lunch and he said, 
there are things you don't tell. There are things that you don't tell to anyone because the, the experience was meant for you and it is personal to you. And you are the closest that I've come to telling the whole story to, and I still won't tell you the whole thing. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely the case with most people. Mm -hmm. um, I know that when I told my father about the, you know, little light orbs I saw, um, he was like, if I saw that, I would never tell a soul. Yeah. yeah. To me, this this is uh, one of the most interesting things that you just hit on uh, right now. I think that people out there who are listening right now or not even listening because they can't like face this kind of stuff that we're talking about um, have had some extraordinary experiences that we're never going to hear about. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, some people just cannot deal with that revelation that reality isn't exactly what we think it is. Um, and there's some things that seem unknowable and unexplained. And, you know, these there's these, these mysteries that we don't have to worry, I don't think, about you know, explaining some of the mysteries because there always there'll always be more mystery out there. Oh that, yeah, that we can barely comprehend, and we got to just keep working and growing so that we can grow in our comprehension. But there'll always be mystery upon mystery, so no worries about that. And I just think that some people cannot deal with it right now. So, um, and I think sometimes too, it's like. It's like just part of normal life that that there have been things that have happened that maybe they weren't even paranormal, but they weren't like in the regular space of things. So you just go on with your life. You go back mm -hmm. to work, you're nine to five and you forget about it. And that's because it's not part of this path. Um, these pathways in our brain that are entrenched now that that we've walked all the days of our life it's not mm -hmm. part of our normal existence so we just have to put it aside and I think a lot of these experiences uh, even by the experiencer are forgotten about yeah. because mm -hmm. they just can't deal with it it's like we have the normal 24 7 uh, experience and that's what we're going to focus on. Anything that falls outside those expectations is going to be forgotten. And yes. or it's going to be, you know, sometimes purposely forgotten, like your father was saying, and other times just kind of accidentally forgotten, you know, just washed away um, by the everydayness of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just would love to get at some of those stories out there that haven't been yeah. Well, and I look at Kath—I kind of look at Catherine Crow as a cautionary tale, where you look at if you know, we now have introduced spirits make you crazy. So right. it's and it's a theme that's carried on through the centuries. Where if you do this, then you will. So if you make eye contact with it, you are more susceptible to that particular kind of delusion. Right. If you acknowledge it. And if you mm -hmm. acknowledge it, you're clearly well it. on the path. 
when yeah. it happens, just mm -hmm. ignore it or you'll go crazy. That's really yeah. great that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that people are still making the mistake and not correcting it uh, of repeating this lie about Catherine Crow um, shows that we still believe in that. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the larger extent, we still believe that spirits will drive you crazy. You crazy. Yeah. And um, I think you're right. That's something that's uh, underpinning a lot of people's reactions when something does happen to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. because it's happened in so many other cases, it's not just her. It's 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 pathological. You know, look, you look at some of the historical female figures who were defamed because they were strong women. It's, it's kind of a similar pattern. It's a cautionary tale, stay in your place, keep your mouth shut kind of thing. Right. Or we'll discredit you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by any means necessary, even yes. if it's um, completely, um, it, it's completely unfounded. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it shows that these things will, will just be perpetuated forever. Unless mm -hmm. we do something. So what can we do, guys? What can we do? I'm just like, you know, when that happened and, um, you know, when I saw that printed in the Edinburgh Evening News um, this, ye this year, I mean, it, it just was really showed me that this is going to be perpetuated forever. I mean, yeah. it's not like a lot of people like have watched my video. I don't know how to get more people see it or whatever. Um, I'm not some kind of a social media, social media empresario at this point. I'm working on it though. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but it's like, how can we overturn this? How can we stop this perpetuation machine? Yeah. Yeah. It talk about it. Yeah. Stand and up. Every and say, hey. We can find, make it a mission. Yeah. All I right. So. Well, you guys are motivating me. I gotta make more videos. <laughs> I mean, there's 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 tons more women. You oh, know. there's yeah. lots of them. Yeah, so, so many. many. Lots of us. So yeah. many to, um, that are out there that have been great examples, and you know, are totally, totally overlooked now, um, and and they still have lessons to teach. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's mm -hmm. my message with. Um, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash paranormal women, is that these people, you know, even though they may have lived like almost 200 years ago, they still have lessons to teach you. Mm -hmm. And are you ready? Are you ready to receive those messages? Are you ready to leave behind um, the the falsehoods of the past and move forward? I mean, that's, that's really what I'm asking people. Well, thank you very much for coming and talking with us, Allison. Um, would you tell us where we can find you on the net? Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, being interested and having me on. Uh, you can find me at AmericanGhostWax.com and YouTube.com slash Paranormal Women. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you. Um, I really loved having you here. It, we'd love to have you back. It was Absolutely. great. Uh, I'd yeah. love to come back. Um, you know, uh, I just have, there's, there's so many women to talk about and they, yeah. they have such uh, incredible lives that, uh, you know, I, I can come up back on as often as you like. Okay. <laughs> well, excellent. To talk about. Okay. Well, thank you very much.
Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.